I have a confession to make for you, and this goes back to when I was growing up young, and that was that in our family of four, I'm oldest, I have a sister who's a little younger than me, in our family of four, one of the things that I struggled with as a kid is I was more reserved. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. Believe it or not. And I was very reserved as a kid, and I, uh, for whatever reason, had, was hard of hearing. I was bad at hearing. Now, I did learn reasons for this. One of the reasons for this was that I, uh, whatever, I have like small canals in my ears. And so what happens there, it gets blocked up. So I had a reason I could fall back on for like, oh, I have a hard time hearing. There's too much stuff in my ears, right? But I mean, admittedly, that's also a little self-selective. It's like, oh, what did you say? Um, that I, there was times when I did not quite listen as good as I could have. So we're going to be thinking about listening and hearing, and I just want you to think about that. What does it look like when you, uh, how do you know someone's really listening to you? And I'm looking for some participation here. How, many, how do you know if someone's really looking to, looking to listen to you? Eye contact. That, I have this in my notes. I can prove it. Eye contact. There are other things. You can think of body language. Active listening means that you kind of responsibly say to people what you just heard. But eye contact's a big thing. So that means if you, if you check out your eye contact, then I'll know. I'm just kidding. It, uh, but I do think about that much more in personal settings. Uh, you know, in context with friends and conversations, you know when someone's really listening to you when they're making eye contact with you. I can't possibly make eye contact with everyone in this room. I can't do it. But if I'm in a room and I'm having dialogue with someone, I'm going to be looking at them. And I guess sometimes you realize that's probably, there's sometimes too much eye contact, so I'm going to look away and then come back and look away and come back. But either way, that's how you know. You are focused on what you're listening to, the words being spoken. That is your focus. So then I ask myself, if that is how I know someone's listening to me, how does God experience us? How are we seeking to listen to God? What is eye contact for us when it comes to looking and beholding God in our lives? In all seasons, the rhythms of our life, school, work, family, friend, community, in silence, in solitude, how do we make eye contact with God? John 1 is this beautiful letter that I've really enjoyed walking through with you um, in these past few weeks of preaching. And it is a powerful reminder of the truth about Jesus. All in our worship is focusing on the recognition, confession of the person of Jesus Christ. You know, all of it is in this context of you've seen it, you've heard it, believe it, go and do likewise. The very fact that the people that receive this letter, just like we have received this letter as part of the body of Christ and church, is that we have received the love of God, and now we're being called to live out that love in incredible ways that are not a credit to our own ability. It 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 has said in this book, which is hard words to hear because it's a personal challenge to all of us. To love your brother and sister. Love your brothers and sisters because we've witnessed this love. We've received it. And that love in our community, our family, is a demonstration that the person of Jesus Christ lives in us. And that we are being transformed from death to life. So what I want to do in this morning, and Sylvia read 1 John 4, 1 through 6, is I want to walk through these verses and just talk about some of the implications. Verse by verse. You will very easily follow along. Verse by verse. And after I reflect on what I think the message of those verses are, I want to apply 
this to the context of what does it look like to listen to God? So I will spend a little time thinking about listening. How does this speak to this listening relationship with God? The first verse, verse 1 I'll read again, or actually the very first part of the verse, says this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. I'm going to stop there. Do not believe every spirit. So what this immediately assumes is that there are different spirits at work in the world. The world is determined by so many different things. When I go out to the store, a grocery store is a, is a wonderful analogy for this. I walk in and immediately everyone wants me to buy something. That there is a lot of spirits at work when I walk in a grocery store. They really want me to buy um, Take 5 or Mars Bar. They really want me to buy the soda. They really want me to buy, one, buy like two so I can get through one whether I need it or not. You know, that's the thing. That it's Immediately, there are the spirits at work in a place. And so the world is trying to tell us that there are things that we need. The world is saying, you need to pursue these goods. You need to pursue this good life. And that, for you to have the good life, you need, you need chips. You need a car. You need a house. You need all these things for you to be who you're supposed to be or who you want to be. But 1 John, it reminds us of the good news in Jesus that we're invited to receive the good abundant life that's in Jesus, that this is intended to be what is enough for us. This is intended to be what is sufficient for us. And the goods of the world, as appealing as they might be, are not actually what we need. They very easily become the distractions from remaining and abiding in the living presence of God. What this, first, what this section of John, what 1 John is telling us is that Many people claim to be of spirits of the truth, but they are not. And we, as the people of God, the people following Jesus, have to exercise discernment about whether when we meet someone, if they are claiming to represent the name of God. We have to make exercise discernment. Now, it's a little less complicated when I go to the grocery store. The, um, the, 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 the pitch on buying chips is not about the gospel as much as my stomach. But... There is something about the truth in the world that we must exercise discernment about what is the truth in the world and how do I know someone represents Jesus by inviting me to participate in that good. So don't believe everything you hear in the world. Pretty obvious, probably. Next point in the next part of verse one is test the world around you. Everyone here has tested the offers. You've been given a sales pitch at one point in time and you had to read into it and realize that is really not worth it. Test the world around you. Read the rest of this verse with me. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Appeals to the Holy Spirit and to God are useless unless they testify to the truth about Jesus. Appeals to God that this is about God or about the good life in God are useless unless they testify to the truth about Jesus. And there's a risk whenever we experience, you know, it's not just now. I think of all the time that there's a risk whenever, like, I remember the early church when they're trying to understand prophetic gifts and the movement of the Spirit. You can encounter unexplainable, phenomenal things. You can encounter those things and not be outside of the church. It's not limited to an experience of God, but there's a risk and temptation that when we experience those things, say the gift of, like, I walk down the street and, so, and I encounter a person who's saying and uttering some kind of language I don't understand. There's a risk there, I think, that is definitely God at work. 
and have no place for the demonic, have no place for the dark things in life that are actually very active in the world, submitted to the power of God, but then not everything is the power of God. We have to understand the distinction. That's why we need discernment. And this is where I want to say this, that the origins of the things that we participate in life matter. The origins. Because everything, like if I'm going to continue using the grocery store analogy, there is a goal that that grocery store has for what it wants me to buy. It wants me to buy certain things where everything is placed in the aisles, is designed for me to see it, to want it more than the thing lower or higher or tucked away in the corner of the store. It's all based on money and the economics and what they think we'll buy. Well, those are the goals. That's, the, that's how grocery stores are structured. So you design and experience those things. You can say the same thing about anything in your life. You can think about your workplace, for those of you who work. What is the goal of your workplace? You can say the same thing about um, like your school. What is the goal of the school you attended or you're a part of right now? What's the goal of this school? It has an end and a goal. School, it's it's, it's so I understand all these different aspects of math, the world history, culture, and science, and it prepares me vocationally, and I grow as an adult. That's the goal, okay? Um, what about grocery stores? They want you to buy as much as you possibly can. That's the goal. And sometimes we don't necessarily understand the ultimate ends of the, of the things in our lives. Any voice in your life, whether it's a voice you experience on your phone, through social media, it's a book you read, it's a movie you've watched, it's a message you heard as part of worship on Sunday, that has a goal and an end. And I think for us, what I hope you will hear again and again is our focus, that the goal is that you recognize and experience the love of God, that you see and experience Jesus, and you hear our confession that he is the Son of God and that he is the Redeemer of our sins. But that's, other people have different goals. Other voices have different goals. And we have to be able to, as part of our discernment, understand why is this taking place. So that's part of assumption. So I've, I've mentioned before in this group that I am a Star Wars fan. But I walk, on, I walk very carefully on eggshells when I talk to Star Wars fans. Just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. But then someone will ask, what do you think about the new trilogy? And then if I answer the question wrong, then I might just like make myself, I might just discount myself. I'm not a Star Wars fan at all because I, I, I appreciate the trilogy or something like that. I mentioned that as an example, but it's, we have to be careful to assume we know the things that we're talking about. This week, the whole war has filled my newsfeed. It's filled my, hearts and, my heart and my thoughts. And part of it is because I, you know, I think along with many people just didn't think it would escalate as severely as it has and so quickly. But then I look at my own thoughts like, why was I assuming this would unfold this way? And it seems somewhat foolish. Foolish. I shouldn't be surprised that evil is not at work in the world. That this level of blatant offense and aggression and harm and risk and attack on life should happen in the world because I've been more led by history and about what happens every single day in this world to know that it happens, that this evil is reigning in the hearts of people and rulers and authorities. So I shouldn't be surprised because the war has been coming for months and yet it broke out this week. And I shouldn't be surprised that there is a massive world power that basically looks at their resources and their land and say, this is not enough, I want more. Because that is 
the evil that is opposed to God. What 1 John 1 here, I see 1 John 4 verse 1 says here, is to look not only to test the spirits through discernment, but it also speaks to identify false teachers. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the idea that these false teachers will come to you like, like sheep, but in wolf's clothing. And in 1 John, he points to the reality that the community is being ripped apart by false teachers, by false teaching. Matthew 10 is something I've reflected on this week a little bit, so I'm going to read a few verses of it here. It'll be on the screen for you. Matthew 10, 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. Pretty much anywhere else I see in Scripture when snakes are referenced, it's mentioned negatively, except Jesus is telling his followers, be like snakes. Be shrewd, be discerning. And then, like doves, that means to practice innocence, to practice humility, compassion. How do you hold both those together? Only through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then later in Matthew 10, he also says this, but when they arrest you, so he's telling his disciples who he's sending out, be discerning, but they will arrest you. Be discerning, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father through you. What Jesus would have us do as we seek to test the spirits of the world and identify the false teaching around us, it is to hold fast to what is true. And that we need, in order for us to do that, we need the same Spirit that empowers us to speak truth. I'm going to move to the next verse. The next verse, to test the spirits, moves to listening to the spirit. The spirit. Sometimes our, our Bible translations will capitalize words, and they're interpreting things for us. So you can see, why are both words not capitalized? Well, they've read it, the context, they've meditated on it, and they've made the choice to present it to you and say, no, the, the capital S is speaking to the Holy Spirit, that is God. And then the little s is speaking to the spirits that work in the world. A lot of decisions are made for you in translations. But for here, listen to the spirit. And this directs us to Jesus. Read verse 2 with me. This is how we can recognize the spirit of God. It's telling us how. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. That word recognize is the word for know. It means to know it, it means you know it when you see it, and you know it because the Spirit has been given to you to understand and discern this. So it's the implication that you can know. Everyone here, everyone joining at home, you can know what acknowledges Jesus Christ in your life. You can know that He did come, God, divine, put on flesh Himself, and permanently united Himself with humanity by taking on humanity. But we have to acknowledge Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. If you're wondering what the hidden confession John refers to here, it's not complicated. It is Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, that he really did come, that he really did die, and this has impact for all of us here in 2022. It has impact for all of us. What it directs us to is the primary point of the Spirit. Now, we have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and each has different purposes. They all serve, in, serve one another in unity, united by the same will. But the Spirit has a specific purpose. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. What's the purpose of the Spirit? The purpose of the Spirit is to bear witness to the person of Jesus and the truth about Jesus. That is what the Spirit does. That is why he comes and comforts the early church in Acts. 
empowering them with gifts so that he can glorify and direct us to Jesus. The Spirit is not concerned that we love the Spirit. He's concerned that we focus our attention on Jesus. In another place, the confession uh, of what it means to, that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, you see it in Paul in 1 Corinthians. And Paul in 1 Corinthians, he talks this way. I, I don't have the verses up for you, so you have to listen to me. In 1 Corinthians 12, Therefore I want you to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. That if someone speaks to you by the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God is directing the Spirit of truth, then they will not curse Jesus. And if that is also the case, then they would be able to say that Jesus is Lord. They cannot say Jesus is Lord except if the Holy Spirit has worked in them. So I've always distilled the most basic Christian confession, which is true, even in the early church, was Jesus is Lord. It's something I go back to. I'm not looking to have a lot of different statements of verses. Do I actually believe Jesus is Lord in my life? Is that directing me from that authority and that conviction? Does that direct me in my life? Because that is the confession, that I am not the king, God is. No one else, no other power, no other movement is sufficient nor able to bring rescue to myself or to those around me except for Jesus, because he is the one true king and Lord. And so I hold fast to that confession, and that's where I think that's embedded in what's happening. If I'm going to read verse 3 of 1 John, verse 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Similar to 1 Corinthians 12. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now has already in the world. We talked about this a few weeks ago that the Antichrist language speaks to one Antichrist that will come in the return of Jesus. But there are many because many oppose Jesus. Many oppose Jesus when he, was, when he was doing ministry and prophesying. And many still to this day oppose Christ. And this, it starts to use this language. I don't know if you see it. And sometimes I just wish I could say, first John, can you, can, John, can you give me definitions? Because one of the things that he talks about is the world. You can see that in verse 3. Like, even now is already in the world. What is the world? Is this the world in the ancient you know, Near East? Is this the world in the 20th century, 21st century? What is the world he speaks of? Um, and I, in my reading, one of the ways that one of the commentators defined this, and I like this, so I wanted to share it with you, is that the world, for 1 John, because I think in each letter it can have different nuances, each book of the Bible, the world is humankind united in opposition to God humankind united in opposition to God. And what is also included in that is the idea that the, that, that the evil, harmful characteristics of what is opposed to God and the impact of those characteristics arises in the world. Our world is opposed to God. It is coming apart in the ends. We are almost two years in to a battle for truth, for life, for wholeness. We are battling and seeking that. And as 1 John says, what we're seeking to do is to overcome the adversity we've all faced. You, dear children, verse 4, 4, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He speaks to the one in the world, the work 
of the Antichrist, the work of the Antichrist in the world that opposed Jesus and says, the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit who indwells you, the gift and presence of Jesus that leads you, that is the way in which you overcome the power and presence of Christ. It's like what he says in the upper room in John 16, if you've heard this before. He says to his disciples before he goes to die, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says this before he even dies for the world. I have overcome the world. And 1 John 4 affirms it again. Basically saying, you have overcome the world. You are overcoming the world because Jesus reigns in you. You might feel done. You might feel gassed, but Jesus reigns in you. The next verse of this short section in 1 John, verse 5. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. That's why I define world for you. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. And then lastly, how this passage ends is we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and falsehood. So what this speaks to for me is that within the community of God, which is here, and in many other places worshiping around the world today and many other days of the week, that a community of God's children, God is speaking to us. And for me, I look at the passage and I look at the challenges we face locally and globally, and I, don't, I worry that we're not listening as well as we could. That we're not listening as well as we could because I believe that God is speaking in the midst of this community. And if we are committed to listening, we will hear God. And as we seek Jesus together, confessing our sins, surrendering our idols, admitting our mistakes, we recognize and embrace more and more the truth that is revealed by the Spirit. Our protection, if you're going to think about how we have to put our armor on in the world that is coming undone and the frails, our protection from the distortions of truth about Jesus is the ministry of the Spirit that God has given each of us. And so what I want to do is I want to shift and talk a little bit about how do I actually listen to God? Because I don't meet many Christians who feel like they're in active conversation with God. I think that the antidote for understanding the difference between the, the evil spirits of the world and the truth of the spirit in the world that's redeeming and rescuing the world is through listening to God. But like I said, I fear we're not listening as well as we could. And so I want to just reflect on what does it look like to listen to God in prayer, to dialogue in a conversation. And some of what I want to share with you is a little bit from a teaching session that came a few weeks ago in our church through a study. Um, one of our prayer leaders, Ivan Mast, did a reflection on hearing prayer. This is a really significant thing for him. What does it look like to hear God? And I want to share some of that for you. Uh, because John 10, Jesus, as the shepherd for us, he, he tells his disciples this. The one who enters by the gate it is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I'm a sheep. No, make no mistake, God has called me to be a shepherd in the church, but Christ is my shepherd. I go where he goes. I listen where he speaks. That we are all our sheep 
following our, the voice of our shepherd. And the question is, do we know what his voice sounds like? And are we following after him as he has gone ahead of us? And hearing God's voice is essential for all the things we talked about in the series, to embrace series, to embrace good life, to resist sin and temptation, to practice love and community. It is necessary to hear God's voice because otherwise the alternative is things like, oh, the Christian life and listening to God is about me being the best problem solver I could be. Or about being the best moral person I can be. Or the person or the ways in which I cultivate these amazing experiences. Amazing experiences in church or at home, like, or how I craft relationships. I am such a great relation, relationship builder. All those things are good, but they don't serve the function or replace the function of hearing God's voice, which direct us to what he's actually doing in the world. We must hear God's voice to be open to and participating in heart-to-heart conversation with God. And that is difficult for many of us because a lot of us are not the prophets of the group. We don't feel like we go through everyday life where it's like, I know exactly what God's voice sounds like. I, don't, I know exactly what it's like to be directed. I'm wanting to express how important I think it is, but I also think it is so attainable for everyone here. Because part of entering into silence and saying, God, I believe you're speaking and I want to listen, the first step to that is wanting to listen, to actually being willing to listen. In each of us, we can dedicate times of silence where we could actually seek to listen to the Lord in prayer, listen to the Lord as we read scripture, to quiet down the distractions. There are three main um, hindrances that Ivan talked about a few weeks ago that I wanted to share with you for what can actually hold us back from listening to God. I think they're important enough that I really want to share. The first of which is unconfessed sin. This idea that I am holding deep burdens in my life, guilt that is ripping me from the inside, and I want to do everything I can to hide I want to hide it. I want to hide it from the people around me. I want to hide it from God, even though he sees it. You can't hide it from him. And the risk is that we think that we can hide it. Unconfessed sin is one way that limits our ability to hear God. The other is that perhaps people have heard God. Perhaps you've heard God in some way, and that might not be an audible voice, but like God's convicted you. It's like, I need to stop this this, this horrible sort of practice of life that I'm doing. I need to stop it. I heard it. I felt the conviction, and I did nothing about it. So you, you continue in sin and disobedience after hearing from God. And the third thing that I've already kind of implied is this, is that, you know, the third thing is you're just not seeking him. There's too much competition for the eyes and ears of your heart that you would rather just kind of figure it out as you go than dedicate the time you need to actually listen to God. Like our world has, world has become so divided with all sorts of different ideologies, intensified thinking. And then what we've lost is a way of grace and humility that allows us to discern by the Spirit of God what God is doing in the world. There's all the tools given here, but, it's not a, but we don't need a manual book. What we need is to listen to God. We need to actually live in relationship with God. The primary ways I would say it takes to listen to God are to remain and abide in living relationship with him. How do you participate in relationship with God? How do you make eye contact? And when you set aside that space for the the prayers you want to offer to God or the ways in which you want to listen, once you do that, you got to stay there. It might not come quick. 
What does it look like to stay there and to wait upon the Lord to speak? You could talk to the most experienced people in prayer, the people that you perceive to be closest to God, and you could ask them, does God always lead you? Does God always speak you? And you're going to hear that the answer is no. That often there are big periods of silence. And as we sit in silence, it is an act of faith and courage. God, you are speaking and you are worth waiting for. Am I going to actually wait for you to speak? Or am I tired of waiting? And I'm just going to go back to my own disobedience. And after you stay there, you remain, abide in relationship with God, and you stay there. From that place, do you commit to faithful obedience? To do actually what God says you to do. It doesn't really matter if when God tells you something to do and you don't do it. You don't live in it. You don't embrace it. Do you commit to faithful obedience? I'm going to invite the band to come up and lead us and prepare, prepare to lead us in a response. But one of the things is my conviction that when I see the world, what I see is that there's, there, there's no way that you can understand the history of the world and the development of the world without seeing its impact on the church and the good news. That even in Canada, we see a society that desires to provide for all. There's something happening where they're trying to meet the needs for all. And that wouldn't be the case without the Christian ethic of the gospel and the love of God. It would not be the case. But it is also true that the world, in a lot of ways, and it's been revealed more and more over the past few years, the world, in a lot of ways, is seeking the benefits of the kingdom we read in Scripture without the king. We're in a world that's like, I want to, I want to, I want to pursue, I like this idea of everyone being served and being given and everyone being loved, but I, our world is attempting to do that without Jesus. <laughs> there is this idea, can we just, that's a great vision the church had, but you know, I just don't really like this follow Jesus part. Can I not do that part? And I think that is what really obstructs what I think people think about listening to God, but it also obstructs our personal journey with God. Are we people who are following God with that amount of obedience, that we will listen to God at every cost? There is a quote from, uh, it's a, the president of the Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary this week. Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm probably going to say his name wrong. Yurslav Slavic Peace. I'm not sure if I said that right. I gave my best effort. But he says this, and I'm just provoked by this. The church will, be, will, will go underground. We had that under the Soviet Union. The church did not forget what it means to be persecuted. We will rearrange, reorganize, and do what we always do, preach the gospel. So we can't bear witness to the Jesus that he's invited to, the kingdom that he's invited us to. We can't bear witness to that if we haven't heard it. We haven't seen it. We haven't received it for ourselves. And so when we commit to times of silence and waiting for the Lord to move in the world, waiting him to act in Ukraine or anywhere else in your life, we wait believing and trusting and having hope and refuge. But it takes us listening to the Spirit. And so as we prepare for the table this morning, what I'm going to invite you to, the, the, our team is going to play a song, and I would like for you to use this song to pray to participate in a way of listening and asking God what he is saying to you, how he would lead you. And even in this time, to confess sins that are on your heart, things that God brought up by your conviction, by his Holy Spirit in this time, just, just to confess those before him. And then after that, we're going to share this table together because there is more grace in God than there is sin in your life. It's not even close. 
there is more grace in God than there is sin in your life. That Christ's death on the cross completely atoned for our sins. And so this is a table of celebration that we don't live in bondage or burdened. We are set free. And we're given incredible access to God, which is why we should be listening. So let me pray. And then the band's going to lead us in a song of reflection and we'll celebrate communion after that song. God, I want to thank you for your patience with us. That we go to and fro and run away from you often. And Lord, at the same time, you are speaking. And you're willing to speak and listen. And you don't really stop speaking. It's just us having a harder time hearing, a harder time listening, a harder time making eye contact. I pray, Lord, you would convict our hearts. I pray, Lord, you would move us with a desire to live in communion with you, to remain and abide in relationship with you. And I pray that everyone who is participating in this moment, this present moment of prayer, that, Lord, they know that they are invited as well to life with you, to communion with you, that you love them and you died for them. Lord, I pray as we prepare for this table that we all feel this invitation that is not about what we've done, but about what you've done, and that your grace is upon us that you are with us, that you provide for us every day, whether we see it or not. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.